Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hey everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we're going to talk about Red Black in Brothers War, which I think is actually a really interesting and an unusual position, which we'll get to. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for patrons. So getting into it, Red Black, the thing that's so interesting here is Red Black is the most drafted color pair but has a below average win rate, which is really unusual because people want to draft good decks. So usually the deck that people draft most is also the most or second most winning deck, both because people have access to 17 lands and it tells them which one, which decks are the best and they try to draft those. And also just people notice, like they have experiences playing different things and they get a feel for which decks win more and stuff like that. And so something weird is happening here, right? Where you have a deck that's winning a below average amount, but being drafted the most. So red black is overdrafted relatively unambiguously. So why is that happening? Uh, What's going on here that leads to that? And I have two theories, and I suspect that it's a combination of both and maybe some other things that I haven't thought of. So um, first, overwhelming remorse and excavation explosion are the two most like the earliest picked commons the the commons that people take uh at the lowest average you know average taken at number in 17 lands overwhelming remorse is number one excavation explosion is number two and then in uncommons go for the throat and obliterating bolt are number two and three behind static net so people are really highly prioritizing removal and then that's just putting them into red and black independently more often. And uh, those players who highly value removal are more likely to highly value all of the removal and then highly value both the red removal and the black removal, take both of those highly and end up in red-black because that was the removal they saw early. I would posit that those cards are somewhat overrated. They are the earliest taken, but none of them are the winningest commons and uncommons. Though notably, Explosion is third after Scrapwork Mutt and Scrapwork Cohort, most winning commons. It's overwhelming remorse is more like 10th or something. If you are viewing remorse and Explosion as the top two commons, I'm not going to like say that that's definitely wrong or anything. The stats don't suggest that because cards that go later winning more you have to factor in that the people who play with those cards are kind of paying less for the privilege of paying with them, playing with them. They're getting them at later picks. But you should consider maybe slightly deprioritizing uh, overwhelming remorse and in particular, and then possibly also excavation explosion. The other big factor, and that's kind of what I'm going to get into with the rest of this podcast, is red-black. The total number of playable commons is very deep. 
because the archetype can do a lot of different things and different commons shine in different versions of the archetype. And that means that a table can realistically support multiple red and black drafters as long as those players are trying to do different things within red and black. And, you know, if you have two players at the table, they're both going to prioritize, you know, the really good cards and removal and generically good stuff. And then they're going to probably end up building toward different synergies or different game plans based on what they're seeing that the other player is giving them. And hopefully they navigate into different red-black lanes and both of them end up with good decks. So compared to other archetypes that I consider like very straightforward, where it's like this color pair plays an attrition game or this color pair plays a tempo game, red-black more than any other color pair can really be anywhere on the spectrum. And that versatility makes it easier to cooperate at a crowded table and generally makes it easier to like figure out a way that you can feel like the cards that you're taking are going to work, um, even if other people are also in your lane. So those are my theories as to like how this happens, that red-black is so drafted despite not winning enough um, to justify that in general. So all of this is to say, if you're drafting red-black, proceed with caution. There's a good chance that you're competing with someone else for red and black cards at the table, and you're like drafting a deck that typically underperforms a little bit. So that means in general, you want to know something that the other red and black drafters in aggregate don't know. Uh, have a plan, draft it better than them, have a higher threshold for when you'll draft red-black in terms of like what quality of cards you need to see to put you in the archetype. This is not in any way to say red-black is bad, you shouldn't draft it. My most recent Brothers War draft, in fact, was a 7 draft on Arena with red-black. So it's certainly viable, but it can be tricky to navigate because, again, as I said, there are a lot of different directions you can go with it. Another draw to red-black that might put a lot of people in red-black is simply Junkyard Genius. That's the red-black signpost uncommon, and it's a very, very strong card. It's a really good reason to be red-black, despite the fact that it's it, 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 there are a surprising number of uncommons on 17 lands that have better win rates in red-black. In order, Hornstone Seeker, Combat Thresher, Static Net. Mishra's Research Desk and Skyfisher Spider, even though several of those, Thresher, Net, and Spider, are being played on a splash, all of them do have higher win rates than Junkyard Genius on 17 lands. I don't really know why Junkyard Genius has been really, really impressive for me in Red Black and when splashing it, um, both when playing with it and against it. I take it really highly. I think it's a very good reason to have Red and Black Man in your deck. Um, notably, if Junkyard Genius is in your deck, especially if you have multiples, regardless of whether you've drawn it, think about the play pattern with Junkyard Genius. It's very, very good at breaking through, particularly games with a crowded board, where you know basically half your opponents can't block, kind of rounded up in terms of your ability to push damage. And so you really want to prioritize getting damage in to get your opponent in range of you just one-shotting them with Junkyard Genius. But you also want to be careful not to trade off creatures if you don't have to. So you want to be playing for a board stall. And, you know, if you have a 2-1 and your opponent has a 3-1 or a 2-1 or a 1-1 or anything, just like 
don't lean toward not attacking instead of attacking if attacking is likely to lead to creatures trading off. That's generally a good approach to take in red-black because you likely have a lot of removal in your deck. And if you have creatures in play, when you draw your removal spell, you can kill their blocker and hit them with your creatures. Whereas if you've been trading off creatures and then you draw a removal spell, you might not even be able to cast it right then. When your opponent does play a creature, you can cast it and kill it, but you haven't pushed any damage and you weren't able to use your card as soon as you drew it. So it's generally best for you to keep some creatures in play rather than trading off, even if you're an attrition deck where you might think exchanging resources is good for you. That's true, but two creatures sitting in play staring at each other, not attacking or blocking, is not appreciably different than two creatures being in the graveyard with regard to how you're doing in your attrition game. And those creatures being in play represents more potential for you than those uh, creatures being in the graveyard. Now, obviously, it also represents potential for your opponent, but between your removal and your junkyard genius, most of the time, I think the value offered by those creatures being in play is going to be bigger for the red-black deck than for your opponent, though certainly consider the details of the situation. That's not always going to be true. This is just guidelines. So you consider that you are often an attrition deck that doesn't want to trade and an aggro deck that doesn't want to attack when attacking isn't actually pushing damage. So it's okay to be chill. Just pass. You don't you don't need to be taking all the actions you can be taking. People comment a lot on my streams about my patience as a player. So I've been trying to think about what I'm doing differently, where that might be coming up. And so I thought that that would be something reasonable to highlight here in particular. There are a lot of spots with red black where, you know, you might, in addition to just, well, don't attack, don't trade off because a larger board favors you because it makes your removal and junkyard genius better. Also, maybe don't use a removal spell, especially if that removal spell is not going to give you an attack and let you push extra damage, or if the creature is not immediately significantly threatening you. You know, you can just wait for a spot where you're going to kill something better. Um, you're going to find like some kind of, you know, two for one where your opponent like double blocks a big creature and you use a removal spell and also kill another one of their creatures that is blocking or whatever. There, there are a lot of ways to get value out of removal. Um, and there are a lot of actions that you can take while playing red black that you shouldn't take at that moment. As far as figuring out like what your game plan is, what's going on, like there's, you know, I mentioned you can be basically anywhere on the tempo to attrition spectrum. So you want to, you need to figure out how much you're prioritizing aggression and like damage and reach versus synergy versus like attrition and card advantage. And all of those things are like present and available to prioritize in this color pair. And you need to figure out which of these does your deck care about and how much and how much card quality are you willing to sacrifice in terms of like aggregate win rate of a common or whatever to get the card that fits better in whatever your plan is, that better supports your aggressive stance, that has more synergy with your other cards, that is another way to get card advantage, even if it's not necessarily the most efficient way to get card advantage. It's like, when do you want to be playing the fringe commons? When do you want to pass on a card with a high ceiling 
in a red black deck that's doing a slightly different thing than you. My personal conclusion in this situation is it means that you really need a plan. You need to be figuring out what you're trying to do and making really deliberate choices. But there is a viable alternate reading that is, oh, okay, cool. So I can just take the best cards and play a mid-range deck because this is limited and my deck is going to line up differently depending on which cards I draw and what I'm playing against. But it sounds like it all will kind of work together somehow. True to a point, um, you can approach it that way and just take the good cards and try to make, you know, just have a flexible deck. But also, I mean, there just are some synergies and are some cards that aren't good unless you have their synergies. And if you're not leaning into making things greater than the sum of their parts, you are more likely to end up in kind of the average expected result, which again for red black is a disappointing win rate and performance. So you kind of really want to find a way to get something extra out of your cards, combine them to do something more than they would do if they were combined haphazardly. So I want to talk about kind of like some shells you can look at. So you could be a sacrifice aggro deck where you're prioritizing cards like Goblin Blast Runner, Gixian Infiltrator, Penrigan Strongbull, Killzone Acrobat, Sibling Rivalry. So you have like the Strongbull and the Acrobat let you sacrifice your creatures and you steal them with Sibling Rivalry. You can prioritize some stuff to make Power Stones, sacrifice those to the Strongbulls and the Acrobats to push extra damage. Incidentally, make your Blast Runners and your Gixian Infiltrators bigger while you're doing that, play all that stuff, make it happen. In general, Killzone Acrobat, Sibling Rivalry, Gixian Infiltrator are all not very good. You can take a lighter touch, you can just play some Stronghold's, just some Blast Runners, have uh, you know cards that are more generically good outside of those like narrow synergy pieces, or you can really lean in if you're seeing a lot of it. You know, certainly not an exhaustive list of cards that overperform in this archetype uh, or sub archetype, but a good example of some of the cards that you should be valuing more highly in this archetype than in other archetypes. Another direction, sacrifice attrition. So you're still looking for sacrifice synergies, but you're playing a more controlling game and you're trying to grind your opponent out. Excavation explosion, power stone fracture, so you can you know, make a power stone, get some extra portion of value out of the explosion, use that to get extra removal in your deck with Power Stone Fracture, or maybe sacrifice it to Thraxidemon to draw an extra card. Scrap Work Mutt, because you're going to play a long game, you need to uh, be able to avoid flooding, plus it's an extra resource that you can sacrifice, especially after you unearth it. Scrap Work Rager, get your card draw, Scrap Work Cohort, get some extra objects, Clay Revenant, Emergency Weld's reasonable here. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in my notes to kind of talk about one of the key differences here in the two different sacrifice decks. With red-black, as with a lot of the format, one of the major things you need to think about is how do power stones work in your deck? What are you doing with them? Are you making them? How many are you making? And then once you have them, what are you doing with them? In general, red-black is not particularly good at spending power stone mana but it is pretty good at making power stones and it uses them well, but it's usually using them to sacrifice them. And so you need to figure out if you're sacrificing them, what are you sacrificing them for? 
Are you sacrificing them for damage with a kill zone acrobat or a Penrigan Strongbull or a Junkyard Genius? Or are you sacrificing them to like pay costs with like Power Stone Fracture or drawing cards with Thraxodemon? Those are really, really different goals. Like they're they're different products that these Power Stones are giving you. And you know, you can be a mid-range deck that's using them for different things depending on what's going on in the game, but you're going to have a more consistent strategy if you have multiple things that sacrifice power stones to advance the same goal so that your deck is reliably playing in a way that you expect. There are also some versions of red-black that are less interested in sacrificing things and correspondingly, most likely, less interested in power stones. You could just be a value attrition deck. Your key commons there would be kind of like any removal, any of the unearth creatures, the mill three creatures, uh, so the um, the two on uh, the scrap smith or something that finds an artifact from your top three cards, two one for three mana, and the ravenous gigamole that finds a creature in your top three cards and emergency weld. And then uh, you know the unearth creatures are giving you value, the mill creatures are giving you value, the emergency welds giving you value, and then you're just kind of killing your opponent's stuff, playing a longer game, and hoping these like fractions of a card card advantage that you're getting from your unearths and your weld uh you know the soldier and the extra card draw from your mill three creatures is gonna like lead to you winning an attrition game or you could be non-sacrifice aggro good rate creatures combat tricks removal fewer of the sac synergy pieces maybe this is where you play some of the prowess creatures or whatever i think that you're kind of scaling a little bit less here than you are with this sac synergy aggro stuff but also, I think, like, the floor on your creatures is higher, right? Like, you're not playing Gixian Infiltrator, and maybe you're playing, like, Rock Hunter instead. And, you know, now your creature's not going to get as big if you do a bunch of work, but the baseline is a 3-1 three, three, instead of a 2-1, which is obviously hitting for a lot more damage. Then you can pair that with, like, Whirling Strike, which could be hard to fit in the Sacrifice Aggro deck, where you kind of need all of your stuff to be supporting your synergies, Whereas if you're just playing, you know, Whirling Strikes and Rock Hunters, you don't mind that those aren't contributing to some more fiddly synergies. They're both con contributing to the strategic synergy of getting your opponent dead. Those are some examples of some different, like, mindsets and you can be in, cards you can be prioritizing. Not to say it's exhaustive, but just to, you know, say, like, here are ways that you could categorize stuff spaces that you could find yourself in in the red black space they're doing different things that's the important part make sure that your cards work together in some kind of meaningful way that you have some kind of plan about why these cards work well together worth noting scrap work mutt and excavation explosion those two commons specifically perform appreciably better than all the other commons in red black and you should prioritize them, uh, for the most part, above all of the other commons, kind of regardless of what your sub-archetype is. They're strong, they're flexible, they're good in all the sub-archetypes, and they they just give you a lot of optionality, and like you're not going to see them late. Everything else, like all the other commons, are going to vary more, depending on how well they fit into whatever you're trying to do, what your curve is, and all that stuff. But you basically can't have too many scrapwork mods and excavation explosions if you're red-black. So watch for those two cards in particular. And some of that was a little bit out of order relative to my notes, but I think that covers basically what I wanted to talk about here. Red-black is 
popular, because it's deep, because it can do a lot of different things. There's not a single way that you should be approaching this. I don't have an answer to which of these is best in a vacuum. What I can say is I think this archetype underperforms because people don't form a plan and don't get the most out of their cards and people are very likely to play a thing in a spot where it's not at its best, in a spot where they maybe could have played something else that they had access to that would have synergized better. It's a tricky deck to navigate and that's going to show in a lower aggregate win rate than something that's a little easier to navigate. But that means that if you are you know, informed, have a plan, know what you're doing, there's room to outperform the aggregate results in this archetype. So a lot of value here. There are certainly really good commons and uncommons that you can take advantage of if you're navigating the rest of the deck well. Uh, that's what I got. Let's turn it over to chat for questions. While I'm letting chat come up with questions, I will do my uh, little plug for the Patreon page, patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. If you want to weigh in on what I'm talking about week to week, um, get access to the notes to follow along, uh, get access to my draft logs, coaching discounts, what have you. Be sure to check patreon.com slash drafting archetypes if you want to see what we offer and support the podcast. Okay, first up, in the aggro version, I have a hard time Citing which top end, if any, to play. I usually try for one Juggernaut. When do you play Unleash Shell? I personally don't play Unleash Shell very much. I think that it's just a very expensive removal spell and the damage is pretty small. I don't think it's like horrible, but it's a card that other people value more highly than I do, so I rarely have access to it. Um, like, I wouldn't generally spend like a real pick on it. So I don't have it in my pool when I'm deck building most of the time. I think one Juggernaut is very reasonable. I think more than one Juggernaut's reasonable if you have a lot of three mana cards that make power stones. I think Juggernaut is a lot better if you're reliably casting it on turn four than if you're not. And you can be in a spot to do that if you have, you know, explosions and Junkyard Genius. And I guess one of the other kind of big pieces that I didn't talk about in any of the archetypes is um, Gix's Crest, which is an interesting spot in Red Black. Obviously, it's going to be better in kind of the more like attrition, less aggressive decks because it doesn't push damage. But I do think it's a strong card. And you know, it's another way to get a power stone to make your Juggernaut better in particular. So like Juggernaut specifically is like another important thing to think about in your like value of power stones calculus. If you don't have any power stones or you're not reliably making them on turn two or three, then I would play Juggernaut if I'm milling frequently or discarding frequently like if i have a lot of scrap work mutts or mill three creatures but if i'm not getting any incidental value out of it and i'm not casting it with power stones then i think it's like pretty bad rate all around i don't know that the aggro decks necessarily want top end i think if your curve stops at three or stops at like sibling rivalry or um you know you just play like maybe a couple of scrapwork ragers or whatever, um, or like ragers and cohorts. I think it's fine to not play expensive stuff in the aggressive sacrifice decks. 
especially if you have a lot of like blast runners and especially bitter reunions where you can discard your extra lands and really lean into density of your like low curve synergy stuff um, and then play like 15 lands. Uh, I think a lot of those, like the most aggressive decks really just want to skip their top end entirely. How do you feel about fitting the black draw synergy creatures, Gargling Anointer, Trench Stalker into red black? I think you generally want to avoid it. If you somehow have a lot of scrapwork, Mutts and Ragers, uh, it can be acceptable to play a little bit of that, especially Gurgling Anointer. But also, like, Red Black does like the, like, cantrip artifacts, largely the uncommons from the Raptor Sheets, like your Baubles and Stars and uh, Icar Wellsprings and stuff like that. If you have a lot of that stuff, you can start to play some of the Draw 2 creatures. All that stuff is going to be more likely to be worth... Like, if you're playing a bunch of these cantrip things, you're spending your mana on that. And so you need to acknowledge that you're probably not focusing on getting your opponent dead. So you're probably in the attrition space rather than the tempo space. So you're probably not... Like, you shouldn't be thinking of yourself as an aggro deck while putting Gurgling Anointer in your deck basically ever. But... Some version, so basically, like the spot where you're most likely to want to try to pair red black with the draw creatures that are, you know, theoretically mostly intended for blue black is specifically sacrifice attrition because the sacrifice attrition space makes good use of those cantrip artifacts. And Thraxodemon in particular is a reliable way to trigger Anointer and Trench Stalker. So I guess the answer to when do you consider them, where are they best, is sacrifice attrition. And if you have those things, it's also a good time to look to play moments of whatever, the plus two plus one draw card lifelink trick, that while there's a little bit of misaligned synergy with Trench Stalker in general, they're still good together. You just double up on lifelink, but you can target a different creature with it and stuff. And uh, Defiance, yeah, Moment of Defiance. That deck can certainly appreciate the life gain. You know, you're like a slower attrition deck. Some portion of your opponents are going to be trying to get you dead before you execute your attrition game. There is a space for the draw two creatures it is Sacrifice Attrition. What are your thoughts of on Dreams of Steel and Oil in the archetype? I don't like the card. I might be a little bit too skeptical of it, but I mean, it's just a card with such an obvious fail state, and I don't feel like it's doing something that you need to be doing. Like, I think that the Attrition control type version of the, of the deck would prefer the Power Stone from uh, Gix's Caress, which you can generally get pretty late, and the Tempo version doesn't want to be attacking your opponent's hand. It's a card that, you know, if I were playing best of three, I would side it in against, like, bombs and, and decks with a lot of unearth and stuff, but as far as playing it in red, black, and best of one, I've never been tempted to do so myself. Do you have a preference for the sub-archetypes? I don't. I feel like the line between aggro sack and attrition has been tricky for me to navigate. I tend to end up somewhere in the middle, and it usually doesn't feel great. That makes sense to me, because all the cards tell you that you should play them together, and you really need to be able to like take you know take a step back and just like think about how am I trying to win the game? What like what axis am I competing on? And 
it can be tricky to figure out when in the draft you're supposed to ask yourself that versus just like taking things that have synergy with your other cards. But you do want to keep that question in mind uh, just at all points and figure out, you know, when you're committed. And before you're committed, you want to be tracking the probability that you end up being each of those. And how likely is it that the card that's like more aggressive is going to be better in the deck that you're going to end up with versus how likely is it that the card that's, you know, more value is going to be better in the deck that you're going to end up with. Um, a lot, a lot of that's just going to come down to practice and stuff, but it's, it's certainly, you know, subtle to, uh, figure out when a synergy like might exist between your cards, but it's not one that you care about because the output's not something that you're trying to get more of. What are your thoughts on playing supply drop in either the attrition or aggro deck? I like supply drop as a card more than most people do. I think that the trick is often pretty unexpected because it's not played very much and it's not very hard to get a card of value out of the plus two plus two. And then, you know, if the game goes long and you spend four mana to draw a card, that's fine. It, when you do that, it also triggers your sacrifice stuff, triggers your extra draw stuff. And sometimes you end up sacrificing it to something else instead. And it's like an object that you don't mind sacrificing to something else instead. So I don't think it's like a great card. I don't think it's like important to have in any of these archetypes, but I think it's kind of fine filler or whatever. I think it's better if you're aggressive as with any combat trick but if you're like the more value space like it's not hard to just like turn it into rock hard advantage by winning a creature combat and then sacking it for a card eventually so can fit in either place better if you're aggressive not great but playable regardless would be my big picture evaluation of supply drop I haven't drafted red black aggro recently felt burned by a few drafts where I got like three blast runners and not enough support. Yeah. I think that, you know, as with anything else you need to like, if you're trying to find some kind of like, you know, a plus B combo, you need to be careful to, you know, not take too many A's before you have like some B's and you want to be balancing how you're prioritizing those, even though like blast runner has a better win rate than the other cards that go into that sub-archetype. Like, Blast Runner wins more than Gixian Infiltrator and Strongbolt, Killzone Acrobat, and all that. But sometimes you need to take the other side of the equation over the Blast Runner just to make sure that you have the right mix rather than kind of, like, trying to shoot the moon or whatever and just, like, hope that you spike getting your best card now and getting the stronger cards later. Also... I think a key thing with Blast Runner in particular is while it does have a high win rate, um, I think it only has a high win rate when the deck comes together. And I think that prioritizing it early is a mistake. I think you really want to be getting them late using cheap picks. And I, I think that that's kind of true of like all the different sub archetype stuff is less in demand because only some of the people in red black want it so you can get it later and more likely to fail you in some way because you need other stuff to come together for it so you want to be that's you know you want to be spending 
the high picks on the more flexible cards, you know, just your decent removal, your disfigures and stuff, in addition to, of course, always mutts and explosions. And then, you know, if you're getting Blast Runners late, then you know that it's open and you can prioritize all that stuff. But I think that if you start off, you know, taking Blast Runners, like, fourth through sixth pick in pack one, you're putting yourself in a kind of dangerous position in the draft. Next up is Altar and Sibling Rivalries, that synergy worth the cards acquired. So Transmogrant Altar, the uncommon that you can make three threes by sacrificing things, is only playable in my estimation uh, if you have like a combination of self-mill and cheap on earth creatures and at least one clay revenant in general you don't want to play the card but if all that comes together it can be pretty good i think that it doesn't pair especially well with sibling rivalry because it costs so much mana to do that i think sibling rivalry is far better with exactly killzone acrobat than anything else but uh if you have you know a small number of acrobats like one or two and then a few other things like a Penrigan Strongbull and a Thraxodemon, it can be reasonable to play the Sibling Rivalry, but Altar is a really low priority card to play with it if you're not playing the Altar for other reasons, like that you're just a good Altar deck because of that other stuff coming together. I've been asked about my thoughts on the 1-3 Prowess 2-drop and the 2-3 Black creature that grows if you have three cards in your graveyard. I think both of them are pretty bad. I think the Prowess 2-drop is playable in some versions of the like non-synergy, non-sac synergy, like tricks and removal aggro deck, but it's not a priority. It's a playable filler card there. And then the Black 2-3, I was thinking about it. I play it basically never, but I think that if you have a ton of self-mill, it can be not embarrassing. But it's still not great then. Like, I would rather have just, like, any unearthed creature in my deck than it if I'm milling myself a lot. But if you are the kind of, like, non-sack value attrition deck that has a bunch of the mill threes, you could maybe play it. But it's not even that good if your mill three is Gigamol, because Gigamol's not even putting a creature in the graveyard. And it's, like, very slow, very low payoff if it gets going. You mostly just don't want to play it. But if you were to... Like, consider it somewhere, it would be in that, like, slower attrition deck, probably with fewer sack synergies, because it's not contributing to those synergies. And it would be, you know, one of the weaker cards in your deck anyway. I feel like rivalry is best when it's killing them. Well, it's hard to argue with that, but as far as when to put it in your deck, you want the, you know, free sack outlets and stuff. But as it happens, you know, if you're playing Killzone Acrobat, I think you're playing Killzone Acrobat because you're interested in, you know, exchanging a power stone for three damage by giving your kills on Acrobat flying anyway. So, you know, the, the the spot where I'm interested in sibling rivalry is interested in it both for the, like, kill your creature synergy and the kill your opponent synergy because I'm a sacrifice aggro deck and both of those are very much on plan. I suppose I could acknowledge that altar plus sibling rivalry doesn't necessarily cost that much mana. Like, you can use the black version that sacks a creature for mana on the altar so that you can sacrifice their creature if you have five mana rather than seven. But when you do that, you've just turned your um, sibling rivalry into a five mana spell that kills their creature and gives you a power stone and a kickback on some mana. 
um, but you haven't like gotten like a full two for one where you also get a creature out of the deal. Um, so like if your combo, and then you had to spend the three extra mana playing the altar in the first place. So like your combo was pretty slow and clunky and didn't give you that much value just to go back to like exactly how well specifically altar and rivalry play together. Junkyard Genius, the best uncommon in the deck, or is there something I value higher? So as I mentioned, Junkyard Genius is like the fifth best performing, fifth or sixth best performing uncommon in red-black, which was strange to me, but Horn Stoneseeker is the best performing uh, uncommon in red-black, and that checks out to me. The rate's so good, and playing with Horn Stoneseeker yesterday, getting the Power Stone on turn two so that on turn three, I could double spell playing two two drops if one of them is an artifact creature came up multiple times and I felt like I was so far ahead when I did that. So it's not hard for me to believe that Horn Stoneseeker specifically is stronger in the deck than Junkyard Genius. And then Mishra's Research Desk has higher win rate than Junkyard Genius. And that's one that's very hard for me to have a really strong intuition about because the cards are so good in such different ways. I could easily believe that, you know, Mishra's Research Desk gives you just like a ton of value. It's very clear that it's good, but once you're comparing it to other cards that are good, it's a lot harder to like see just how much it's helping you compared to how much Junkyard Genius is helping you. Someone noted earlier that when I play Junkyard Genius, I'm a little bit more likely than they are to play it last or to like wait to play it until I'm going to play and activate it. There's obviously appeal to playing Junkyard Genius as soon as possible so that you can like use that power stone for mana and stuff. So there's some potential that Junkyard Genius is ending up a little bit behind its potential due to the complexity of playing with it in terms of, you know, seeing all the right spots to activate it, figuring out when to cast it, stuff like that. So that could account for some amount of Junkyard Genius uh, winning less than some of the comparable uncommons. My guess is Hornstone Seeker over Junkyard Genius, but I think I still prefer Junkyard Genius to like Research Desk or any of the assorted splashes or in Combat Thresher's case, semi-splashes in red-black. Like if, if I suspect that I'm ending up in red-black. I personally am taking Junkyard Genius over trying to splash the Skyfisher Spider, even if the Skyfisher Spider currently has a slightly higher win rate on 17 lands or whatever. So hard to give an authoritative ranking of the quality of uncommons. You know, everyone's sample size with those things is can only be so high, but uh, that that's where my intuition is currently. I think that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening and tuning in. I guess tuning in and listening to give you a chronology right there. This is the last episode of the year. Uh, I suspect a lot of you listening to this not live. It's already going to be next year. Uh, Happy New Year to upcoming New Year to those of you listening live and happy is New Year to those of you uh, listening to the edited version. Been uh, this this podcast has been going since you know this this is another full year and for anyone wondering I have every intention of continuing the podcast through the next year looking forward to more Brothers War and all the upcoming sets next year so stay tuned to uh, learn more I hope and I'll be back next week. (laughs) 